Okay, good morning everybody. My name's Kirk, one of the ministers here. Let's talk about that passage a little bit and a little bit about White Space Christmas. Part two in a series. If you'd like to catch the last one, if maybe you missed out, then you can get it on our website and have a listen there. Uh, oh, potentially, when it goes up. Anyway, it'll be up soon. Uh, so, um, White Space, where's that name come from? Well, it's a design term and it's used to describe a part of a page or these days a web page as well. Uh, that's left unmarked. So where there's no words or graphics or anything like that, that's considered to be white space. And I presume this works even if the piece of paper is blue or whatever, it's still referred to as white space by the designers. Uh, and so what white space does is it allows you to highlight something that's important and to avoid distraction. So last week Tim used the example of the Google search page. So this is google.com. This is an excellent example of white space ignoring the yellow borders and everything there, uh, what can you do at google.com? You can see their logo, you can type in what you want to search for, and there's two buttons that you can click to run the search. That's it. That's all you can do on that page. It's very focused. Uh, no wonder Google has become the word for searching the internet, right? They've just been very effective at letting us know that this is what Google is all about. And so white space can be really useful in design. But when we, we can also think about white space in life, and it can be really useful in life. Because the thing is, our society is full of distractions, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff vying for our attention all the time. On your way here, this probably happened to you. Maybe you had some, the radio on in the car and there was advertisements trying to get your attention. You probably drove past some billboards or some, some logos on shops and all this sort of thing. All these sort of things trying to grab our attention. Uh, and this happens all year round. But in the lead up to Christmas, it just gets ridiculous. We get overloaded with it. And this series is designed to help us block out the noise and focus on Jesus at Christmas. And so today's subtitle is Spend Less. I guess if you like, this is our tip for today in keeping enough white space in Christmas so that you can keep your focus on Jesus. I noticed a couple of weeks ago, I started to get these online promotions for Black Friday sales, and I'd never heard of them before. I was like, what, what is this Black Friday stuff? And I noticed it was sort of mainly international companies, so I thought, oh, maybe it's an American thing. You know, and because we think about Black Saturday, right? You know, a very sort of serious uh, day where we remember horrible things that happened. So I thought, oh, well, maybe that's similar over there. Maybe there was a Friday similar situation, and they have these sales where all the profits go to raise money for a charity. Right? What a positive guy I am. <laughs> That's not what Black Friday sales are about. Uh, and I, then I forgot about it, but it kept popping up, and it was more in Australian stores as well, and I ended up accidentally being at a shopping centre during one of these Black Friday sales, and for somebody who doesn't like crowded shopping centres, it was not a pleasant experience. But basically, I, I looked it up then, I googled it, and Black Friday is just the day after the Thanksgiving public holiday in America. So it's basically like Boxing Day all over again, like just another day to celebrate spending money on stuff. And uh, so, you know, and I was like, I'm not sure why we've adopted it in Australia because we don't have a pub. I'd prefer the public holiday over the sales, wouldn't you? Like another public holiday would be good. But anyway, this is what we've ad adapted. 
you know, we're just like, oh, another opportunity to make a special day to buy things. Let's import that from another culture, even though it's completely irrelevant to how our calendar actually works, and implant it in here so we can buy more stuff. So we love spending money on stuff in Australia. It's like a national pastime. Uh, and it's because we wholeheartedly embrace this thing called consumerism, right? Consumerism is the obsession of society with buying stuff. We buy stuff to fix our problems and we buy stuff to make us feel happy. Who's heard of the term retail therapy? Familiar with this? Quite a few people, yeah. So retail therapy, it's, it's this idea <laughs> that um, you... You go shopping in order to make yourself feel more cheerful. And we use the, ta the term retail therapy, you know, as a bit of a cute saying, but we kind of believe it's true. That, like, this, this is the thing. Like, you can actually cheer yourself up by going shopping. Uh, and so we love retail therapy pretty much all year round, uh, but just a bit more at Christmas. Now, in the Bible, God makes it clear that the way we spend our money uh, can turn out good or evil. And it actually depends how you do it and the motivations that you have uh, as to whether you end more on the, the good end or the, or the bad end of things. And so to do that, he does give a lot of warnings. In fact, there are more warnings about misusing money in the Bible than about almost anything else in life. Let me give you a famous example, which is in both Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 and in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. These are the words of Jesus. He says, No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Now, you go, okay, well, we don't want to be enslaved to money. Let's, what are some, some wrong ways to use money? Well, there's some some sort of obvious ways, right? So if you paid a hitman to assassinate your neighbour because their dog pooed on your nature strip, then that is an evil use of money. Uh, if you gambled away all the money your, needed, your family needed to buy food, then that's an evil use of money. If you buy Collingwood Football Club merchandise, then that is an evil use of money. But actually, there's, there's some really subtle ways that we misuse money. And it's to do with those last few words. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And you go, okay, well, how, how does this happen? How would, how would money be our master and us be its slave? Well, it actually happens all the time. In fact, retail therapy is kind of a good example of what it might look like to be enslaved uh, to money, right? So you go, oh, I'm not feeling very good. I just need some retail therapy Let's go to the plaza, right? And someone might suggest to you, no, well, why don't you spend more time with like, people who love you? Like maybe they'd be able to help you with the issues that you're facing. And no, I just, I just need to, to hit up shopping town. Uh, can I borrow some cash? And it's like, well, it's clear there's some issues here. You know, maybe you could like, talk them through. You get to the heart of these things. It's like, no, no, eBay is my best friend. Can I borrow your credit card? You see what I mean? Like retail therapy is an example of how we can be enslaved money. Basically, if money controls your actions and controls your decision making, then you are a slave to it. Another very common example is debt. Okay, so 
Say you go into debt to buy something expensive, like a car. Uh, now, from then on, if you don't keep making your loan repayments, then you risk losing the car. If you don't pay it back, the government will say, well, the, the bank will say, well, we're going to take the car off you. Now, if you think about that, that would be a very inconvenient thing. That would restrict your freedom if that happened. You perhaps wouldn't be able to drive to work. You can't give lifts to your family and to your friends. It's even difficult to bring home a big load of shopping. But if you think about it, even if you are making the loan repayments, your freedom might still be restricted. For example, if you get some extra expenses somewhere else, you might have to take more shifts at work. And that means you're more compromised in other commitments that you have in your life and, and you know, maybe you get to spend less time in important relationships. And so that can build stress. And we see a lot of that stress actually um, in the, the housing development areas around here in you know, Diamond Creek and surrounding suburbs where people have spent big on a house but then the costs of keeping your house going are very stressful and we have lots of high levels of stress among homeowners in this area. So I'm not saying that having debt automatically means that you are enslaved to money, but you can see how quickly that could happen or how easily you could slip into that being the case. What are those things called that go bang at Christmas, the things you pull? Bonbons, right? Okay, so... What's a bonbon useful for? That's right, nothing. Absolutely useless things. The jokes that they have inside them are very, very lame. The toys usually break within an hour. Uh, the hats, they're not so hot right now. You wouldn't be wearing them the next day down the street at the Boxing Day sales. And even when the crack, like even the crack, like how often does that not work? You know, you do the big pull, this is the only good thing about this bonbon is the crack noise that we're going to get. And then it's just sort of the cardboard falls apart and it doesn't crack. But even then, you could get a better crack by just getting an old tea towel and wetting it and like just flicking it. If you like the crack sound, that's available all year round. Okay? So all the bonbons contribute to Christmas are groans as people read out the awful jokes and more stuff to clean up. And yet, we have bonbons every year. Why? Because it's Christmas. You've got to have bonbons. You know? Even at our family stuff, even when there was no little kids in our family and you know, you'd have the family get together, we'd still have bonbons. We'd all sit around in these ridiculous hats. Why? Because it's Christmas. You've got to have bonbons. Now last week when Tim started this series, uh, he mentioned that at Christmas we have all these unwritten rules that we believe we have to follow, right? So you've got to have bonbons. You've got to have a Christmas tree. You've got to have decorations up in your house. All these food rules must have turkey and plum pudding. And on the plum pudding, there must be an option of having either ice cream or custard. Do not forget the custard. There's a big no-no in our family to forget the custard. Uh, you know, got to have presents. The presents must be wrapped and they must be distributed equitably amongst family members so as not to cause tension, right? So there's all these like unwritten rules at Christmas. And these unwritten rules come from a clear expectation in Australia generally that Christmas is a time where we go to excess. We have excessive amounts of food, we have excessive amounts of presents, we have excessive amount of decorations, and just ex excessive spending. And actually not just spending money, but also spending of time and energy to get all those things in place for Christmas. But the thing is, most of us Aussies already live a pretty excessive lifestyle already. A few years back, I lived in a shared house with a bunch of young adults. And 
I considered our house to be pretty run down. Like, you know, shared houses have a bad reputation for this. Yeah, but well, this is one of those. This is the reason the reputation existed. Uh, and so people would often refer to our house as a bit of a pineapple hole. Now, what I did there was replaced a swear word with the word pineapple, just to give you an idea of how people would describe our house. It was not something that you would like to hang out, with, ha hang out in, and honestly, it was probably the worst house of anyone I knew. Um, but then, our church at the time was hosting a choir, from, uh, like a youth choir from Rwanda, which had recently been decimated by civil war. And so if there was one positive about this house is that was, we had a big back room. And so we said, yeah, we can have a few people stay in our back room while they were touring in Melbourne. And so we met one of the, the leaders of the choir. He was probably about 20 years old. And he came into our house and he asked me, is this a school? And I was like, oh, okay. This must be a translation error. His first language is in English. He's perhaps asked the wrong thing. But then I actually looked around our lounge room and I realised... Okay, we have books, computers, chairs, tables, pens, paper, clean running water that you can, you know, you can drink, uh, toilets, showers, roof, walls. Our house, was, which I'd been like, oh, how bad is our house, was more luxurious probably than any school in Rwanda. And so suddenly my own wealth was really clear. And then I started to notice the excessive things like, you know, the paintings on the wall, you know, the pictures up on the wall, framed photos, figurines, DVDs, Blu-rays, etc. And I thought, oh, how excessive must our life look to this young Rwandan bloke? You know, we have way more than we need uh, for day-to-day -day life and we're very good at excess already. And then we get to Christmas and we just take it all to the next level. And people in third world countries must go, really, Australia? You can do that? There's another level? And Coles Meyer Group says, yes, there is, and we're going there. Honestly, you don't have to be a genius to work out, though, that, that consumerism is a scam. It actually does not make us happier. It doesn't bring good things to our society. I did some rather depressing research on... Uh, during the week into suicide rates around different countries in the world. And I looked at all the countries that were, had, a, had a lower suicide rate than Australia, right? So they're doing better in that regards than us. And I, from my knowledge of their economies, I couldn't find one country that would have had more money per head than we have, right? Now, maybe there were a couple, but pretty much every country that's doing better than Australia on suicide rates has less money. So buying more stuff, having more money to buy more stuff, doesn't seem to be making us happy. For those of you who have suffered from depression, anxiety, that sort of thing, you know that if I give you what you want for Christmas, like I give you a present like that you asked for, that that's not going to fix your illness. Right? It's not going to help you. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to be the solution. Right? It's much more complicated than that. So this idea that we can just buy our way into happiness is just complete rubbish. And to actually ruin our society is something we need to be set free from. Now in today's passage, Jesus is referred to by two names. Jesus, duh, and also Messiah. They've got very similar meanings. Jesus means the Lord saves, and Messiah is the term given to the leader God has chosen to save his people. So salvation 
is a big theme in these names for Jesus. And when, you're, when you experience salvation, when you're saved from something, it means you're set free from the thing that was restricting your freedom. So if you're drowning, the lifesaver uh, rescues you from the water that was restricting your ability to breathe and to stay alive. If you're trapped in a building, burning building, the firefighter saves you from that, uh, from that and brings you freedom. Okay? So the thing restricting our freedom is removed by salvation. And this is what Jesus brings. Jesus saves us from a life lived separate from God. When we have God at the centre of our lives, we no longer have to experience slavery to things that ruin our lives and that ruin our relationships. Now what tends to happen if you've been around church for a while is that we're pretty quick to put up our hand to be saved from punishment for sin. We're here, or God doesn't like it when we do evil things. Evil things deserve punishment, but he offers us a way to not be punished. I'm in for that. Thank you. Hell sounds terrible. I don't want any part of that. Yeah, heaven, sign me up. Great. This is good. Right? And that, that, is a, that is a good thing. I'm giving that a tick. I'm not trying to be sarcastic about it and say you shouldn't do that. That's an excellent thing. But salvation is actually bigger than that in that we need to be saved from the other things that restrict our freedom. And one of those is this enslaved to money thing. And we tend to be less quick to put up our hand for that. We tend to be like, oh, maybe, but we kind of, maybe we like being enslaved to money or everyone else is doing it, so maybe I will. So the other guy mentioned in this passage, apart from Jesus, is this guy called Simeon. So verse 25, it says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Uh, when you're righteous and devout, it means uh, he had a good relationship with God and he was very committed to that relationship. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, consolation is when the comfort received by a person, uh, someone received comfort after a loss or a disappointment. Okay? So Simeon's situation was he was a member of God's nation, the nation of Israel, and they were in a tough spot. The Roman Empire had taken over and politically they were kind of slaves. They, they were very restricted. They weren't necessarily ball and chain slaves, but they didn't have a lot of freedom. The Roman government was the boss and they decided how society ran. And the people were spiritually suffering too. Uh, you know, this nation had once been great, but now it seemed weak. It was struggling. And the amazing miracles that God had done seemed to be sort of drifting off into distant memory. God's people were basically stuck in a culture that worshipped things that weren't the one true God. And it was causing them problems. And Simeon was looking forward to the time when God would set his people free from this situation. And he rightly identifies the birth of Jesus as the arrival of the person who would bring about that freedom. That's why he says to God in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation. So he's seen Jesus, he's seen salvation. You have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He identified the need for salvation from the things that are restricting his people. He sees Jesus as a solution. And we are in a very similar situation to Simeon. Our society doesn't worship Jesus. Our society worships things like sex and power and money. And we need to be set free from that. 
And actually, good news is, whenever the Bible mentions Gentiles, which it does in verse 32, that's referring to anyone who's not born Jewish, which is likely most, if not all, the people in this room. So the good news is, this salvation is offered to all of us, as well as to the nation of Israel. So we actually can be cult, sort of culturally saved by Jesus um, and we especially need to embrace this salvation at Christmas time when consumerism is so intense. So this idea of making white space at Christmas is a way of helping us to embrace the salvation that Jesus offers us. It's a way of embracing freedom. If we spend less, then we are creating space for Jesus to have more influence. And the good news is that when we spend less, that can also help other, that, that frees us from slavery, but it can also free other people from slavery too. Uh, you might already know this, but there are a lot of seriously dodgy companies out there, and they like to pan to this thing called individualism. Uh, it, consumerism meets individualism, gets into a dodgy marriage, ruins society. Uh, so individualism is just where we focus on ourselves at the expense of other people. And companies know that we do this and so they like to sort of play into it. And so companies, uh, some of these dodgy companies are run by people who are happy just to tear apart the environment in order for them to make more money. They're also happy to exploit their workers who are often very poor in the first place just to increase their profit margins. And some of them are even happy to let people get sick and to die in order for them to make more cash. Now, just so you know, if you're visiting here today, Jesus is not cool with exploiting poor people. <laughs> in fact, everyone needs to know this. Jesus is not cool with this. Big no-no in Jesus' book, exploiting poor people. But a lot of companies do. Um, and a lot of the bigger companies that we probably would all recognise their logos immediately um, can exploit people. So spending less, spending more wisely uh, can actually mean that you don't give money to those people, those companies that are exploiting people. And um, Andrew Bowles will talk a little bit more about this sort of thing next week. But I do think it, what it does, though, is it shows us that actually spending more can increase our own slavery, can increase the slavery of other people. And so this Christmas thing that's meant to be all good and about freedom and everything sort of becomes more and more evil. And the, the biggest irony is perhaps when slavery reaches its peak is the morning we're meant to sacrifice, uh, celebrate, sorry, the birth of the one who's meant to set us free from all this stuff. So Christmas needs to be changed. We need to refocus the way we think about this. That said, you might be feeling uncomfortable this morning. Good, should be. I felt very uncomfortable writing it, <laughs> just like examining my own life. So I feel the need to pass that on. Um, but also... You know, when we actually make a bit of white space for Christmas, we focus on Jesus, we will inevitably realise that we need to make some changes. feel a bit uncomfortable about the way things are, we need to make some changes. And so just as I sort of wind up here, I just wanted to tell you a story about our family and how this can be tricky, making changes, right? So a few years ago, we decided as a family we did want to spend less. This is our extended family. So instead of getting a gift for every adult, what do you do? You do a Kris Kringle. Yeah, who's doing Kris Kringle? At least one this year. Yeah, anyone doing two, three? Yeah, yeah, a couple of people. All right, yeah, you're the winner. So, um, 
Chris Kringle is where one adult buys for another and so then you don't have to buy a present for the whole extended family. All right? It's good for saving money, uh, makes things more simple, saves a bit of time, effort, etc. But of course, in the extended family, you don't know everyone as well. So if you get somebody who you're not that familiar with, I was like, oh, what would I get this person? You know, I haven't really caught up with them much this year or whatever. And so then what do we do? We make wish lists, things that you might be able to get us for Christmas. We even have a Google Doc set up for this where people can update their list in real time. We also have a set budget. You must spend at least this amount. You are not to spend more than this amount. <laughs> and what happens when you spend less than the amount? Right? If you're in families like this, you are considered stingy and you have cheated the system. And actually, the biggest argument in our extended family the last couple of years is how much this expected amount should be. It's created quite a lot of tension, much more tension than I would have expected. And so this thing that's meant to be about generosity and everything has just turned, turned like the most awkward part of our family. It's, really, it's just, you know, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Um, so what, why am I telling you this? I'm just telling you because consumerism is so dominant in our culture that if you try and make a change that's going to affect other people, it's going to affect your family and so on, you just need to expect resistance. You just need to expect people to not get it initially. Uh, you're going to come across as a hypocrite because you've been a part of the whole consumerism thing up until then. And so this change is like, why are you, why are you changing things, man? Well, this is how we do things. You know, it's Christmas. You've got to do it this way. It's another, you know, you'll bump into all these unwritten rules. And so what we need to make sure is we don't go into this with a judgmental, harsh sort of attitude where it's like, oh, we're all dodgy and we need to fix this and fix that. We need to do it gently. We need to explain where we're coming from. Uh, we need to be well thought through in, in the way this goes about. And we can't necessarily force it on people who don't have the same core beliefs as we do. Um, also, we need to identify this big lie that consumerism tells us, which is that if you spend more, it means you're more generous. right? Because it could be tempting to listen today and say, what Kirk is basically saying is that if you're a Christian, you should give less at Christmas. You, know, you should kind of be less generous because you're spending less. That is definitely not what we're saying. Next week, um, Andrew will have some... You know, the whole talk is about how actually, even when you are spending less, you can give more and you can be a more generous person by creating more white space. Right? But I'm not going to steal his thunder. We'll leave that to him next week. But basically, the idea that spending more makes you more generous, it's complete rubbish. And the idea that money equals love, it's complete rubbish. It doesn't work that way. Um, and just to, to finish, I'll give you an example right from today's passage. It was Jewish custom that when a you, know, you have your first child, two sort of uh, traditions that you needed to go through. One was that you present the child and the other was a purification ceremony for the mum. And so uh, in the, the purification ceremony, it's recommended in the Old Testament that you bring a sacrifice. So it's required that you bring a sacrifice. The recommended sacrifice is a lamb. But and then in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, it says this, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two pigeons. Okay, so what did Mary, the mother of Jesus, bring to her ceremony? Was it the more expensive lamb or was it the poor person option of the two birds? It's the two birds. Does that mean she loved God less? Did that family love God less than people who brought the more expensive option? Of course not. I mean, Jesus is in that family, right? <laughs> so, 
Just don't fall into this trap thinking that spending more money makes you more generous. It's complete rubbish. There's some big problems with the way we celebrate Christmas uh, in our part of the world. And so followers of Jesus need to reject consumerism to live differently. And in order to do that, we need to spend less. We need to create more white space so there is that time for Jesus, space for Jesus, the energy for Jesus. And if you reckon you are a slave to money, and I would suggest that probably nearly everyone here is to some degree, the first person to go to is Jesus because he's the one who sets us free.